as we begin our worship this morning, as we talk about a God who is unstoppable.
morning. Good morning. If you were here a couple weeks ago, uh, you'll know that Pastor Sam spoke about August being a great month to have birthdays in because somebody else has one today. It's not me. Uh, but why don't we go ahead and see if it's our neighbor? Good morning. My name's Pete Carlson. I'm the director of adult ministries here at Hopeville Church. Um, and as our ushers come forward for our offering, there's a verse I want to share with you this morning. It's 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, and it says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Two words jumped out at me at that. One of them was cheerful. In your situation this morning, you may not describe your life as cheerful. Your body may be broken. You might be suffering from fear or pain. You might be going through a difficult time and the world feels like it's going to collapse around you. The joy and the cheer comes because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we know that this is not our home. Our home is coming in the future. Our home is coming when Jesus comes and he wipes away those tears and we get that perfect body with no more broken ankles, no more of that kind of thing. Um, the next word that jumped out to me is, is the give. And we give here at Hopefield because we want to share that hope, that cheerfulness with others in the world, with others in our town, with others here in our community. And we give so that we can meet here on Sundays and encourage one another all the more as we see that day approaching. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've revealed yourself to us, that you've brought in a hope and a joy in our life that despite our circumstances, we know that you're there for us, that you're with us, that you give us a joy and a peace that surpasses all understanding. We thank you for that, Lord, and we ask that you would bless these gifts, that you would use them so that others might have the same hope that we have here today. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.
you stand and worship with us as we continue to experience his presence? Here I am. 
into his presence just a little bit. Let him wash over you. Let him flood. And as you look up, just say, here I am, Lord. Here I am to worship. Here I am to together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to
be on the winning side. Yes. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Isn't it wonderful to come out of our weeks, whatever your week has been like, good, wonderful, eh, so-so, not so good, kind of a tough week, whatever your week has been like, to come to gather here together as God's church and just to worship him, just to sing, to be reminded of God's truth, that we belong to a risen Savior, that he's leading our lives, that he has overcome, he's taking us home to be with him. Boy, it's, it's good, isn't it? It's just good. And I, I encourage you uh, to worship during this time. Worship the Lord. Give your heart. Sing with all your heart. What's happening up here is not about showcasing musical talent. It's not about performance. It's about people that God has gifted leading all of us to his throne of grace to look into our Savior's face and to worship him. That's what this is about. I can't sing. It's okay. It's okay. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands, all ye nations, right? So lift up your voice. It doesn't matter. And sing. Don't spectate during this time. I encourage you to worship, to participate. So, thank you, worship team. Have you been keeping up with the Olympics? Yeah. I think all of us have in different ways, right? Different ways and times, watching different events. And the athletes are amazing, aren't they? And inspiring. Doesn't watching Usain Bolt run the 200 meter just make you pick up your pace in your morning run <laughs> a little bit? Yeah. And seeing Michael Phelps win gold, aren't you inspired to at least try the butterfly the next time you get in the water? <laughs> yeah. And what about Simone Biles, right? Wow. Wow. You know what that makes me want to do? Reach my cell phone and call the chiropractor. <laughs> <Does that> <laughs> it really does. Yeah, heroes um, do inspire us. Sports heroes... Sometimes entertainment here, people that we look up to, actors, actresses, historical figures, war figures, other, other heroes in our lives do inspire us. And I hope you've realized through this series 
really the, the universal truth that we are hardwired to look for and to imitate heroes. We are. We all look for them in our lives. And we imitate how they talk, how they live, what they do. Every one of us does. Not just children, but us as adults as well. And so I think that's why it's so important to choose the right heroes for the right reasons, isn't it? And too many heroes today can shine in the moment but stumble over the longer stretches of life. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah, they can shine in the moment but then stumble over the longer stretches of life in some of the ways that count in their families and their personal lives. Lance Armstrong has been one of my heroes for a number of years. I love, I love road cycling. And uh, Renee was out of town probably about a month ago or so, earlier this summer, and, and a new documentary was coming out about Lance Armstrong, the program. If you're into biking, you probably know this. But uh, so I thought, man, while Renee's gone, I'm going to watch this two-hour documentary. And I found another one that I had wanted to see, another documentary with him directly kind of narrating. And so I saw it. I'll, I'll watch these back-to-back. And as I got into it, I, honestly, I could hardly watch them. It was just the doping, you know, performance-enhancing drugs, just the abuse of his position on the team, the bald-faced lies to the media. I have never done drugs, you know, all of that. I just like, oh, it was so painful. I just, I, I could hardly finish. I really could. Um, many of you know that our, our youngest son, Kurt, got married in Memphis, Tennessee this April. And so we were down there for the wedding, and we took, we took some days afterward just to spend a little time in Memphis. And as some friends said, not entirely accurately, uh, we, we ate our way through Memphis. And that, that's not quite true, but we did have some good Memphis food. But uh, one of the things we did is we took a day, and we went to Graceland, so Elvis's house, and then went through all the Elvis um, uh, museums and car museum and plane, you know, all of it and immersed ourselves in Elvis Presley's life for a day. And again, man, it just kind of struck me. On the, way, on the way back, I picked up a biography of Elvis. I thought, I've never really read a good biography of him. So we picked one up and went through it. And an amazing talent. Whether you like Elvis's music, you have to admit, an amazing talent, really. And he hit, hit the music industry at just the right time. You know, all that came together for him. And yet, what a sad ending to his life. You know, a guy who so many times he shone in the moment, amazing talent, but just really struggled with the longer stretches of life, with loneliness, emptiness, lostness, really. And so some of our heroes really can struggle with these longer stretches of life. So we need to choose our heroes carefully. And in part, that's what the series has been about hasn't it? Uh, the kinds of heroes that God wants us to look to, to, to imitate in our lives to walk with him. And so I want to take time this morning to help us to get to know Abraham a little better. And we're going to do this in a little different way. I want to compare Abraham with Lot, his nephew Lot. Their story for much of Abraham's story is told together. And if you read it, Genesis 12 to 26, you 
you begin to see this contrast between Abraham and Lot. Um, called by God, some of the same opportunities. They both had some wealth in terms of their day, and yet they made very different choices. Abraham made choices for God. Lot made some choices otherwise, more for himself. And you see this contrast play out that highlights Abraham's life and Abraham as a hero. And I want us to look at that because, you know, we can, we can often see what a hero really is by considering what a hero is not. Do you notice that? You know, we can see in people's lives around us, well, that's not it. We shouldn't do that, or we shouldn't live that way, or a sports figure who kind of stumbles in their lives, we look at that and say, oh, that's not it. Good in sports, but that's not it. So it's good sometimes to turn the coin over and say, let's look at what a hero is not. Let's look at, what, let's look at an anti-hero against um, a real hero. So let's dive into some family history first. Uh, the end of Genesis chapter 11, we'll see the history of Abraham and Lot's family. Genesis 11 says, this is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram. This was the shortened name of Abraham, so we're just going to call him Abraham throughout. So Terah became the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abraham and Nahor both married. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Isca. Got all that? Figure out the family tree? Okay, so let's simplify it. So Terah is the father of who? Abraham. Yeah, Terah is the father of Abraham. And Lot was Abraham's nephew. Yeah, yeah. He was the son of Abraham's brother Haran. And Haran died in their hometown of Ur, okay? So that's why Lot ends up traveling with Abraham. And then Sarah, who was she? Yeah, Abraham's wife, his significant other. Okay, so how was Milcah related to, well, you can figure that out later, all right. But, but we've got the basics. Terah was Abraham's dad. Lot was Abraham's nephew. Sarah was Abraham's wife, okay? So with that in mind, let's look at Genesis 12 and jump into the story. Genesis 12, verse 1 says, The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And God makes these amazing promises to him. I will bless you. And he says to him, All the nations of the earth, every person on earth, will be blessed because of you. Amazing promises he made to him. So in some way, we're not quite sure how, God appeared to Abraham in his home city of Ur. Now, Ur in this day was a thriving metropolis. Really, by some estimates, scholars, archaeologists talk about Ur could have had a population of up to 300,000 people. And by ancient standards, that is huge. That is a New York City, a Beijing, China. That's a, that's a huge city by the, the standards of the day. It was a thriving city uh, devoted to the worship of a moon god. And Scripture even says that Terah, Abraham's father, was an idol worshiper. So he worshiped this moon god. 
But God called Abraham. However this happened, God called him and said, I want you to leave this place and go to a land that I will show you. And you can, you can just imagine this happening, right? Sarah, honey, uh, we need to pack everything up because we're going to go for a walk. Oh, seriously? Where are we going? I'm not quite sure, but I'm gathering it's about 1,000 miles away from here. 1,000 miles? Really? Can I bring the Jenga game? You know, it's like, you know, you don't know. But verse 4, chapter 12 says, Abraham went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. So they start out on this journey, and I want you to see two things, just as a snapshot of Abraham's life. First, that he consistently worships as the Lord speaks to him. Abraham consistently worships the Lord as God speaks to him. And you can see this right away. Now, chapter 12, verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So God repeats his promise. He's encouraging Abraham. So what does Abraham do? He builds an altar. It says he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. Now this is a, this is a personal altar. It was kind of a simple thing made with field stones and Abraham would have sacrificed an animal on the altar, and there he would have prayed to the Lord, called to the Lord, and talked about God's call on his life, uh, God's promises to him. He's talking with God about his life. He's worshiping. That's what he was doing. And let's go on. Verse 8, And from there Abraham went on toward the hills east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and there he does this again. He built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And after going down to Egypt, as you read on in this chapter, Abraham goes to Egypt for a little while, and he, there he just kind of messes things up. He kind of loses his way as a God follower. He lies about his wife. He gets people stressed out. Lot's with him. He probably endangered Lot as well. He leaves Egypt and he comes back to the altar that he had built in Bethel, and there he worships God. And no doubt, when he comes back to that altar, he's, he's confessing. He's like, Lord, I, man, I messed it up. I was wrong, and I, I made a mess in Egypt, lying about my wife and all, this, all of this stuff. And so he consistently worshiping the Lord. A little bit later, we read in Abraham's life that he he traveled toward Hebron and stayed by the trees of Mamre. And that, as you read Genesis 12 to 25, you see that that's kind of home base for Abraham, that area of Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. It's like wherever he goes and travels, he builds an altar. And whatever his circumstances, like in Egypt where he's struggling spiritually, messes up, he comes back to the altar. You know, I was talking with someone yesterday. We had a work day around uh, Hopevale, South Campus, North Campus, and this brother told me that he had grown up in Saginaw and then lived for many years down uh, south of Flint and recently moved back up here. And he just, he just made the comment, just in passing, and said, we, we moved back up here in 2004 and, and found Hopevale, and we've been coming ever since. I thought, how cool, how cool. Just, 
No matter where you move, no matter where God takes you, find a place to worship. Connect with the Lord. And you see that with Abraham. He consistently worshiped God as the Lord spoke to him. He just consistently worshiped. He's building an altar. And think about, too, in different seasons of our lives, we, we can go through different things. We can go through some tough times. We can go through some, some hard times with our children, in our marriage, on the job. Just different, different things can wear on us spiritually. And it's in those times that we need to do the same thing Abraham did. We need to build an altar. We need to build an altar. We need to keep worshiping God, calling on the name of the Lord. God, here I am. This, this is where I'm at right now in my life. This is where I am. And I need you, and I want to walk with you. I want to worship you. I want to give you my life. I want to give you my heart. And Abraham consistently did that. And you see that play out in his life. And we'll see in a couple of minutes just the, the consequences, the fruit of him consistently worshiping the Lord. And Abraham also, I want to see secondly, that he immediately obeys as the Lord directs his life. He immediately obeys. And I think immediately is the right word. God tells him to leave Ur and go to Canaan, and he does it. Huge move, 1,000 miles. And when God commands him to circumcise every male in his household as a sign of the covenant that God was making with him, you can just picture it, right? Abraham's like, uh, guys, I have good news and bad news. The good news is uh, God is making a covenant with us. That's a good thing. And now the bad news, right? Well, you can just picture that. But the Bible says there, Genesis 17, that Abraham rose early in the morning and he obeyed what God had commanded him to do. He immediately obeys. He's not dragging his feet. He's not holding back. He immediately obeys the Lord. And one of the hardest days of his life when God comes to him and says, I want you to sacrifice your promised son Isaac to me as a burnt offering. And not only was Abraham like, God, did, is this what we do here? It, but this is the promised son. You know, it, was, it was the hardest day of Abraham's life. But the Bible says there, Genesis 22, again, early the next morning. Abraham has this vision from the Lord at night. Early the next morning, he rose, he gathered wood, he gathered his servants, his animals, his son, and said, let's go. Early the next morning. And it's amazing. As you read Abraham's story, Genesis 12 to 25, you see this repeated again and again and again. At one point, Genesis 18, the Lord visits Abraham with two angels. So three visitors. And as you read that section of Scripture, Genesis 18, you see Abraham just responding to the Lord. Again, immediately. He runs out to meet them. He welcomes them invites him to stay for a meal. He hurries into the tent and enlists Sarah's help in fixing a meal, goes out to his servants. Let's pick the best calf. Let's, let's make the best meal for these guys that we can. This is the Lord. And you just see his, his obedience, his response to the Lord. So Abraham consistently worships God. Do you? 
Do I? Do we consistently worship the Lord wherever we may go, geographically? Let's connect to the Lord. Make a personal altar and worship Him. Call upon the Lord. Give Him your heart. Not spectating, not going through the motions, not checking off the box, but giving your heart to God, worshiping Him. And Abraham immediately obeys the Lord as the Lord directs his life. Do we? Do we immediately obey what we know God from his word through the wisdom of other believers around us is showing us? You need to change this in your life. You need to take a step. It may be a hard step. It may be an easy step. But you need to take a step and obey me. How do we respond to that? How do we respond? And you see in Abraham's life that he consistently worships. He immediately obeys and God blesses his life. But what about Lot? Remember, Lot was Abraham's nephew, right? Little younger guy, his father had died, and so he's traveling with his older uncle, Abraham. And Lot had some of the same opportunities. He has flocks and herds. He's fairly wealthy as well. He's in Canaan. He sees what God is doing with Abraham. But his story is quite different. Where Abraham consistently worshiped God, immediately obeyed the Lord, Lot seems to live more for himself, and he definitely reluctantly obeyed the Lord. So Abraham and Lot, they grow rich in flocks and herds of animals. And it got to the point that their herdsmen were competing for pasture, and Abraham even kind of hints at their There's some tension between him and Lot over this. And so Abraham very wisely and very humbly says, hey, Lot, we've got to work this out. We've got to talk about this. So Genesis 13, uh, verse 8 reads, So Abraham said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, between your herders and mine, because we're close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. So you just see, even with Abraham, you you see the wisdom, the humility that he brings to this situation. In in Abraham's culture at this time, he's the elder. He's the head of the family. He really had the right to say, Lot, I want you to go there, and I'm going to stay here, and that's how we're going to settle this. And in Abraham's culture, that was the norm. That's how this would play out. Elders were honored. They were obeyed without question in Abraham's Middle Eastern culture. But Abraham doesn't do that. It's very different here. And you see his wisdom. You see his humility. Lot, go ahead and choose first, and I'm going to trust God for what I have. So you choose first. I don't want there to be tension between us. But look at how Lot responds to this. Look at what he does. Verse 10, Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So he's looking at, what's the best land? What is going to make me more prosperous, right? What's best for me? This is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 11, so Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. 
Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So here's Lot. Picture this culture. He owes his uncle honor as his elder, as the head of the family. Abraham has taken him in after his father Haran died. And he's shared the wealth of his uncle. But he chooses for himself. And he looks through very different eyes. And no doubt, Sodom had a reputation at this time. And it was not a good one. It was known to be a wicked city, but lots, he's not thinking about that. He's thinking about what is going to make me more, most prosperous. That's how he's making his decisions. How can I make more money? How can I accumulate more stuff? How can I be more prosperous? And he makes his decisions on that basis. And as we can see, it gets him into trouble. Because first he pitches his tents near Sodom. And then it's not long before we find he moves right in. Moves into this wicked city. You see, Lot is active in building wealth, but he's passive spiritually. He's passive. And unlike Abraham, Lot doesn't make it a priority to worship the Lord. You never read in Lot's story that he builds an altar, ever. You never read that about him. But it's really interesting because in 2 Peter, the little letter of 2 Peter in the New Testament, Peter says that Lot was a righteous man whose conscience was troubled. His soul was vexed, in one translation, by the evil that he saw around him as he lived in the city of Sodom. So he believed in God. And he was a righteous man. But it was all kept quiet. It, his faith, his belief was not active in his life. He didn't openly worship God. He didn't build a personal altar that people could see and say, this is a follower of Jehovah God. Lot didn't do that. It's all quiet. His, his, Christian, his, his spirituality is passive. It's not active at all. And we'll see how that plays out in his life. He's too busy living for himself. And... As a result of that, Lot reluctantly obeys the Lord. He reluctantly obeys. So in response to Abraham's prayers, the Lord sends these two angels to Sodom to rescue Lot and his family out of the city of Sodom before the Lord destroys it. And I want you to see what happens. Genesis 19, beginning with verse 14. It says, So Lot went and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were pledged to be married to his daughters, he said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy this city. But look at how his sons-in-law, or future sons-in-law, respond. They thought he was joking. Oh, you're getting religious on us now? Wow, that's kind of different. And they were not, they didn't respect him. They didn't respect his belief in God. And they were not willing to leave the city of Sodom with him, and they didn't. They stayed and were destroyed when God judged the city. But go on at verse 15. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. Verse 16, he hesitates. Right? In contrast to Abraham, who immediately obeys the Lord early the next morning, he's moving. Lot hesitates. Ah, man, I don't... He just doesn't have the resolve 
that he's going to obey what God says. So when he hesitated, the man, men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. And it doesn't get any better. Verse 17. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them, one of the angels said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot says, no. See how he responds? No, my Lord, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes. You have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I will die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to, and it's small. Let me flee to it. It's a very small town, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. It almost seems like he's saying, it's not the big evil metropolis that Sodom is, so can I go to this little town? But he just hesitates. He's, can you imagine this? God has just communicated to Lot that he is going to destroy the city of Sodom by fire for all of its evil. And Lot's out there arguing with the angels who rescued him. Can you, you picture that? He reluctantly obeys. The angel says to him, verse 21, Very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly. So Lot just drags his feet. He's reluctant. He's arguing with these angels. He reluctantly obeys. And it shows up in the fruit of his life. Lot loses his wife. Jesus comments on the story in Luke 17 and, and just shows that when Lot's wife looked back, it was like, I want my life in Sodom. I want my life. That's, what, that's my life. That's what I want. And God included her in the judgment and made her a pillar of salt. So Lot loses his wife. He ends up committing incest with his two daughters. The resulting family line, the Moabites and the Ammonites, become bitter enemies of Abraham's family, the nation of Israel. Just a mess. And the last we read about Lot is he's living in a, in a cave in the mountains. All because, though he believed in God, he lived for himself, he reluctantly obeys the Lord, and he's an anti-hero. He's, he's the other side of the coin. He's, he's don't do this at home. Don't be like this. He's an anti-hero. Abraham is the real hero. He's the real hero of this account. He consistently worships. He immediately obeys the Lord. And his life blesses others more and more as it goes on. The Canaanite people that lived around Abraham called him a great prince. They did business with him. They trusted him to lead them into battle. That's how honored and respected Abraham became, even among the people of Canaan who probably did not believe in God. He's a great prince. He goes on. He becomes the father of many nations, the father of the, of the Jewish nation, the father of Israel. Abraham is an ancestor of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And did you know the New Testament says that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that you're a child of Abraham too? You're related to him by faith? Do you realize that? Abraham is a towering figure in the Bible and in history. 
Why? Because he consistently worshiped God wherever he traveled, whatever circumstances of life or season of life he was in, tough times, easy times, confusing times, he turns back to the Lord and he worships God and calls upon him. And when God directs his life, he responds. He obeys. Not always perfectly. As we know, Abraham had his, had his down, downsides. But overall, he immediately obeys the Lord. He responds to him. He's the hero. And I think most telling is that in the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the book of James, God calls Abraham his friend. It's an amazing thing. Abraham, my friend. Wow. That's amazing. Abraham didn't have just this belief that was passive in his life like Lot and didn't, didn't show up and he lived and looked at the world through worldly lenses like Lot did. But Abraham's faith is active. His obedience is real. His worship is all of him. It's his heart that he's given to the Lord. He's not playing at it. He's given his heart to the Lord, and God calls him his friend. And as a result of his walk with God, as a result of his obedience to the Lord, Abraham has blessed every one of us. He's blessed us all. So three final thoughts as I close. First, be careful to choose the right heroes for the right reasons. I hope you've seen in this series that God has given us a lot of heroes in Scripture, people that we can get to know more and that we can imitate their lives, follow what they did, and God will bless our lives as well. Real heroes are those who know their God and live like it. Right? We can get swept up in our culture and the, 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 the beautiful people, the talented people, the most athletic people, they can get a lot of our attention. Right? We, we all can do that. I can do that. But the truth is, the real heroes are people who know God and live like it. Those are the real heroes that God consistently points to. So be careful to choose the right heroes for the right reasons. And secondly, often the real heroes are faithful followers of Christ around you. Be like them. You know, there are people around us, there are people around me in my life that I thank God for because they're faithful followers of Jesus. And we can look at them and say, when I grow up, that's what I want to be like. As I keep growing in the Lord, that's what I want to be like. I want to have those qualities of my life. Have you met Don Mast? Anybody met Don Mast at Hopevale? I don't know if Don's here this morning. Don, if you are, I'm sorry. I don't want to embarrass you too much, but a little. Um, Don is an elderly man who loves Christ. He came to the Lord in the Korean War under fire, literally under fire, and has lived his life for Christ. And he would say imperfectly, he is a hero in our church. Many of you are heroes in our church. And you are because you faithfully follow Christ. 
and you're influencing other people to love the Lord and to live for Him and to walk with Him, and the fruit is coming out in their lives because you're faithfully, faithfully following Christ. So these are the real heroes. Let's be like them. Let's be like the Don Masks and others in our church, in our lives, who love Christ and are faithful to Him. And thirdly, remember that you're a hero to someone around you. You're a hero, whether to your kids, your grandkids. We, we get that mantle whether we want it or not. I don't want to be an example. Well, sorry. We are, aren't we? Every one of us. If you're a young person, you're, you're a hero to someone younger than you. Somebody looks up to you. Friends look up to you. So are you a hero like Abraham? Or are you more like the anti-hero Lot? We need to consider that. What kind of example am I providing? What kind of hero am I to people who look up to me? That's important. Because of his worship and obedience, Abraham blessed all of us. Because of our worship and obedience, God can use us to bless others around us. So let's pray for that, can we? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time to worship you this morning. Thank you for our worship team and just their leading us to you. And Lord, I, I pray that you will help us to be consistent worshipers of you. Help us, Lord, whatever season of life we are, tough times, easy times, older times, younger times, to build our own personal altars, to worship you, to call upon your name, to give our hearts to you. And then, Lord, as you direct us, as you guide us through your word, through the wisdom of other believers, I pray that you'll help us to respond, help us to immediately obey you, to walk with you. And use us, Lord, like you used Abraham, to be a blessing to others around us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand?
Amen. Let's go this week praising the name of the Lord our God, worshiping him, obeying him, so that God can use each of us to be a blessing to those around us. God bless you.